Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah, release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama is back along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I just remember sitting back and laughing at this energy I had in my body that I had to put a million dollars in the bank account in the next 30 days or else I was a failure as a father, as opposed to just simply being super available to my partner who was so unwell. Hi, my name is Mark Groves and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts where I get to explore alongside you every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Pope. <laughs> when I read your bio... Uh, a neurostructural chiropractor, a men's home birthing coach, and rites of passage enthusiast with a giant beardy smile and infectious <laughs> laugh that lights up any room. I was like, I gotta have this guy on, and uh, <laughs> you know, already it, it doesn't disappoint the bio. So, welcome. Thank you. Because you're a neurostructural chiropractor, and then are also a home birthing coach and rites of passage. So there's a lot <laughs> to unpack there because. To me, the, this is kind of everything. You start out with this holistic perspective of a chiropractor. When you went in to become a chiropractor, I'm curious what your intention was and then how you then became a men's home birthing coach, which I could have used prior to the home birth that we had. However, hey, the next one, I'll be well-tuned by you. So let's go. I guess a major influence here was definitely my dad. He was a chiropractor. So I've been literally under chiropractic care from birth. So there's been a lot of awareness through that and knowledge through that and 
I remember even just being, you know, in my final year of school, stealing a couple of dad's CDs out of the car and listening to like wellness experts talk about how we're just animals and how to be innately healthy and just the basics of it and how simple it can really, really be. And so I always envisioned myself as a wellness-based chiropractor, one that just focused on having the body express as much health and life as it can. And just that vitalistic belief that the body is a self-healing, self-organizing, self-regulating organism, and it doesn't need anything added or taken away to be fully healthy. And so just learning how we can support the body to just do what the body does. While in many ways that is chiropractic, it's there's many types of chiropractors. So that's not always what you're going to hear and what you're going to get if you do see a chiro. But that core foundation of wellness and belief in the body has maintained its foundation, whether I'm in the clinic or supporting men or wanting to have those experiences. So your desire to help people, I guess, is it sort of remove or get out of their own way? Yeah. Like when I when you talk about this self-healing, self-directed self, like that the body is wise, like the body innately knows how to do these things. So what gets in the way of it doing these things? Well, the core premise um, in chiropractic, and there's a few different ways you can look at this, but it's the three T's. So traumas, thoughts, and toxins uh, are how you can essentially cause blockages or disharmony or dysregulation in the system, creating a state of dis-ease. So whether that be like physical traumas being, you know, the slow postural changes that our body goes through, through not knowing how to take care of our frame properly or traditional, you know, car accident type traumas. But there's also the concept, and I think this is being explored massively now compared to almost any other year I've been as a chiropractor, it's that mental emotional piece. Mm -hmm. And even just yesterday talking about the sorts of things that can cause a bad posture and someone said emotions and I was just like, wow, you know, we've come a long way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like that depressive energy creates that kind of forward rounded posture to the body, but there's also like the chemistry. So either a lack of sufficiency So not having appropriate amounts of what you need biochemically or toxicity, having too much of something that the body is not able to process and integrate properly can be traumatic as well. And I think the really important thing when you're looking at health and healing is to not put all your eggs in one basket and it's to look at that three together that most commonly will there will one lead to issues with the other, like emotional things leading to addictions. For example, like, yeah, those emotional issues can lead to biochemical issues, can lead to physical structural issues. And that it's really important to look at those foundational three because one can essentially recreate that cycle of causation of the rest. So when you're uh, dysregulated, when you have emotional issues, the trauma can be the trigger, but also you could just be stressed. And then that chronic stress causing a biochemical change, but also cause a physical presentation that's different, right? 100%. Where would normally someone who's really stressed present physically? How would they normally present? Stress is an exacerbator. So stress is going to reduce your body's ability to to adapt and compensate and 
really like work with that stress. I don't really see it creating. It definitely can, but most of the time I see it being something that reduces your body's capacity to manage something that's already happening. So when you're working with people over this, that it there's something underlying or like something out of alignment and then the stress exacerbates what is already present. Yeah, or it all reduces your body's capacity to manage that effectively. And so when our faculties to be able to compensate for that reduce, it is further expressed. You know, I think about if someone doesn't have boundaries, you know, that's the behavioral habit, but then not having boundaries causes all sorts of biochemical things and physical things and all sorts of stuff, which that connection of emotionality to physicality and and biochemistry, is that something that was taught in your chiropractic school or is that something that, you know, you've learned over time? Definitely something I've learned over time. Chiropractic schools come in all shapes and sizes and some of them are very traditional in terms of that really that innate chiropractic message. And then a lot of them have through wanting acceptance through the medical industry become a lot more medicalized and really adopted a lot of those symptom management philosophies in a way, which look, those, those techniques and those skill sets can be extremely valuable and extremely useful, but I I think it really needs to be grounded in the knowledge that the body's the healer, Hmm. which isn't something that you get. You know, I talk a lot about that on here that, you might have the experience of emotions and in our society and culture. And I think this is true generally globally, but obviously not everywhere that if you have negative emotion, it's seen as a bad thing, you know, even that it's coded as negative, you know, as opposed to it is a symptom, it is information and it's asking you to do something, to move something, to change something. And if you don't listen to it, the body's going to be like, okay, we're going to raise the game then. 100% agree. I speak to my patients the same way in the practice. It's if you're not learning the lesson here, it's going to come back. Like if we just stretch this, move this, do this, and we're really just focused on removal of symptoms, like it's, it's coming back the same again, louder or in another form. When you're looking at men specifically, and I would, the majority of the audience that listens to this podcast, it's probably about 75% women which is true of most personal growth content, most relational content. And, you know, there's lots of reasons for that, that, that makes sense. But what I also find, like I have a friend who has purely men's content and even 60% of that is consumed by women because women want to understand men. You know, I know that we were introduced via Jer because I was becoming a father and he knows that that's something that you're really passionate about that you lead men through. And I'm, I'm curious in the preparation for fatherhood, like we're talking about, you know, exploring different avenues of our psyche, looking at our triggers. Would you see a psychologist? What happened? What, what <laughs> uh, kind of, uh, he's not, he's not officially a psychologist, but he's exceptionally good at holding space. We have like a, a friend, a friend of ours, Adam is, He's actually like, for lack of a better word, a survivalist. And he's spent years in the Australian outback just living off the land. Um, And he comes and does like bushcraft and making fire the old way at some of the retreats that we run. I think this was like the first time I met him. He was telling me about how he lives on like old 
sacred indigenous land and near the top of Australia and how he essentially just lives on wild meat and wild game that he hunts with his crossbow and just how incredible it is out there and how simple life can be and how much it has drastically changed the health of his body and his mind. And I asked him, well, he had taken his brother out and one mate out um, and done like a, a, a rewilding experience out in the bush and was just toying with the idea of actually making this an offering that he does. And so I asked him if we could set up essentially a rite of passage for me. And I asked him, how, how wild can we get? And his response was, mate, how wild do you want to get? Because <laughs> <laughs> seriously, like he's spent, it's, you, you, you just, you, you're 12 hours in a car away from anything. And um, like he's spent so much time out there just hunting even naked. Um, so we came up with a plan to essentially eat only what we could hunt for 10 days. Um, we'll barefoot in the bush with enough water and we had a car and a swag, but we had, he had his hunting crossbow and I, I ended up buying one for the adventure and he practically taught me, taught me how to use it. And the whole process was, he was just going to show me what he could and I would learn what I could, but he was not going to catch anything. It was really just up to me to see what I could create for myself in an environment where, man, I'm not a hunter. Like you are I now. barely went fishing with my father as a kid. Yeah. And so like we didn't, we didn't, we waded into some water and, and ended up finding some like wild mussels on day one on the drive back to where we were going to camp up for the night, we drove through like this swarm of grasshoppers. And so we ended up eating about 30 grasshoppers each, which was like raw? again, a pretty interesting. No, we cooked them up on the fire on a pan with some salt, but I mean, they were kind of like crunchy, crunchy, salty chips by the time we were eating them. And they did have a little bit of like a nutty flavor to them. But I think it was really, they were the only two things that we ate up until, man, probably halfway through day three. And so by day three, like I could barely pull a 60 pound bow string back. I was just getting pretty weak and pretty tired. And you might think, oh man, I've done three day fast before, but this is, this is December in the top of Australia. Like it's 38 degrees and we're walking 20 to 50k a day 20 to 40k a day like how do you prepare were you barefoot yeah so wait you're walking 20 to 50k a day yeah yeah easy easy because again we just had to cover a lot of ground to try to find the animals and you're essentially walking from waterhole to waterhole because in those conditions like you just know you're, you're going to find them where the water is and where the shade is but their ability, you know, bulls and boars and their ability to smell you and hear you, um, really the barefoot was the better strategy because, you know, using your feet to walk, you can kind of feel the ground. And it wasn't until, you know, learning how to stalk for the first time and being heavily assisted in that process, 
you just learn how bloody loud you are and how obnoxious we are and how fast we feel like we have to go. And it wasn't until, you know, I got really, really hungry and depleted and it got to the point where I'm like, when I'm fucking around here, like I got to the point where I realized how much I looked over my shoulder at Adam to just keep checking in that I was doing things right and to keep checking in that I was going about things the right way. And it wasn't until the penny dropped that man, my focus isn't even on the task at hand. My focus is on what his perception of me was at the task at hand. And it wasn't until I let that go and stopped looking at him and started really just listening to myself and considering my level of awareness and considering my level of commitment to the moment. And it got to the point where I wouldn't even step somewhere without using that foot to brush away a couple of dry leaves because I didn't want that leaf to crunch underfoot. And we were covering some pretty good distance moving really, really quietly. And, you know, it was from there that this experience really opened up for us because all of a sudden with that level of commitment and not looking over my shoulder and learning to trust myself, was I able to get close enough to actually start hunting? And it was brutal and beautiful and scary so scary you know when you're even if they can't see you being 10 11 meters away from a bull that weighs over a thousand kilos with huge horns and like there's this moment where everything's in position and you don't even know if you're meant to be there and that shot opens up and I hesitated and it just stayed there. Like time froze. And I remember just kind of coming back into my body before I released the arrow and just realizing that, holy shit, like this is everything that I've been preparing for, everything that I've been working for. Cause I had about 12 weeks of prep to get out there and it was just too uncanny, the position of the bull, how he moved into position, the the gap in the trees between me and him, and how long that pause lasted for before I realized like this moment was absolutely meant to happen. And it was the first time I'd ever released an arrow in the wild at an animal, and it took down a thousand kilo bull. And you know, on reflection from Adam was his like, that just doesn't happen on someone's first day. Like it was beyond belief. Like I, we'd walked so far, Adam had to kind of run back to get the car. So I had about an hour kind of just sitting with this like incredible beast um, going through like the sea of emotions, just such a wild range of like sadness and grief and excitement and joy. And the idea that I was going to eat something later was pretty good as well. And it wasn't until 
it wasn't until we did sit around and, you know, the process of like honoring that animal and cleaning it and processing it and was a ceremony of like respect in and of itself. And I still had a lot of, lot of really, really intense emotions until, until we ate and like this feeling of like ease came into my body and that kind of open loop closed. And, you know, when you talked about being in the birth space and realizing that we're just animals like that, it was another version of that for me. And I just realized, holy shit, like this is, this is it. Like we've been doing this for a very, very, very long time. And we're so disconnected from our nature. And the story of birth is the story of death. And to get closer to birth is to get closer to death. Like parts of you die, as you know, stepping into fatherhood and motherhood. And I think um, birth can be uncomfortable, just like death can be uncomfortable and things die so that things can be born. And there's just as much death as there is life because an imbalance there just doesn't happen. You know, it has to be in balance. You know, things die to make space for more things to live. And so it was an incredible experience of building confidence in myself, trusting myself, expanding that container, sitting with discomfort. Literally, it was the best rite of passage I could have imagined before stepping into fatherhood. And um, yeah, eternally grateful for that experience and for Adam and you know, I can't imagine on, on reflection, I was so surprised as to how much, uh, learning to hunt and learning to parent have similarities. <laughs> you have to be able to back yourself. You have to be able to be very sensitively aware, like putting a baby to sleep and stalking an animal have a lot in common. <laughs> That's cool. You need to be extreme. You need to be extremely intentional. You need to be extremely aware of something outside of you and where their awareness is. You need to be extremely quiet. You need to maintain regulation in your body. I really enjoyed that process. And I've also really enjoyed looking at how, you know, that old saying, you know, how you do one thing is how you do a lot of things. And so learning how to really refine one thing and going deep for my own self-exploration in this arena um, had way more crossover than I could have imagined. And it's also coming really up close and personal with the rawness of nature, which also happens in the birthing space as well. So it was profound, man. It was amazing. 10 days out there, we ended up eating pretty well. (laughs) Yeah, it's something that I'll I'll literally just like I'll never forget. Yeah. I actually can't wait to go back. When do you go back? I was talking to Adam about it and he, he asked what our next parameters and rules would be. We're just two blokes that love to strip it back and find our edge. So we're exploring what it looks like to peel off another layer from there. Um and what it might look like to not take a bow, which is an intimidating idea. Yeah, it sounds like you guys might end up eating each other. That's the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of you will come out. If oh man, it would um, 
It would not be Adam. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's an animal. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. cool. Wow. If you haven't heard me talk about Cozy Earth Sheets before, let me tell you I'm about to introduce you to the greatest sheets you will ever have touch your body. Anytime someone comes to our house and stays in our guest room, they always want to know what is the bed situation. What are the sheets that we have? Their sheets, their comforters, their duvets, everything is magic. Their bedding is naturally breathable. It's temperature regulating. It's so damn soft. It's ethically sourced viscose from bamboo. It's incredible. And the brand was featured on Oprah's favorite thing but before that it was featured on Mark's favorite things. Like I discovered this brand years ago before I ever even chatted with them about being a sponsor for the podcast. And because I love their product so much, I asked for an exclusive offer for you and you get 40% off site-wide. And now they have pajamas. They have like loungewear. So not only do you get to wrap yourself in the experience of the sheets as clothing, but you then get to get into the bed in that. So you're like double wrapped. And so all you got to do to save 40% off site-wide is use the code GROVES at checkout. So just my last name, G-R-O-V-E-S. So go to CozyEarth.com. C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H dot com and use the code Groves and you get 40% off all their products. What are the ways that we are challenged as we become fathers? And I want to know what makes us ill-prepared. I was thinking about this literally just yesterday. It's a really unique experience what's going to trigger someone. You know, it's going to be based on their history and their life. But, you know, I can speak for myself. It, it was literally even just finding out Amber was pregnant really brought a lot of stuff up for me really quickly. And I doubt I'd be the only one. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't ready for just the activation of this sense of not enoughness. Um, it really, the best way I could describe it was any of the cracks that I was okay having when I was only responsible for myself got amplified and changed because all of a sudden it wasn't just about me anymore. Even just the sorts of the cracks that were in our relationship that when you look at how much we loved each other and what our relationship was like, these weren't anything that we really felt like needed addressing. But there were also things with my relationship with my dad and my mum who once again, you know, had just been left untended to when it was really just myself that I was responsible for. I feel like I was okay with those things at the time, or I would have the story that I was too busy, or I didn't want to disrupt our next interaction with something so heavy. Whereas when I found out we were going to be having a baby, it really, these things amplified off the charts. And I realized that mm -hmm. The relationships that I had with myself now and the relationships that I have with Amber and my parents are literally going to be the model and the framework for my son or daughter that was coming. And I was not okay with that. And maybe that's something I need to look into for myself, like my own energetic minimums for the relationships that I have with the people around me. You know, maybe I need to look at why it took having a baby to come before I wanted to make them truly something great. But definitely finding out that there was a little one on the way made me feel like this needed, these conversations at least needed to be started. Mm -hmm. I already knew it, it wasn't what I wanted to teach that was going to be received. It was all of me. And I already knew that. I think you put into words so well that like it amplifies the things that were okay with just being and yeah. 
I was reading a book that's on the neuroscience of parenting and, and child development. It just came out. It's called Nurture Revolution, I believe. It's fantastic. But in it, one of the points she made was she was talking about how there are very few times in our lives that neuroplasticity is available to us in a really high quantity. And she said, being a new parent is one of them. What was the preparation then that you did coming up, knowing that you wanted these relationships to be a model? And then how did you go about shifting? I first had to move through the idea that it needed fixing before Anakin came because that kind of pressure and expectation on something that I really don't have control over how someone else is going to meet me in those situations. So firstly, removing that expectation, but, and just being okay with the process, starting the conversation, making sure that I was coming from a place where it was really well understood that like, yeah, I'm, I'm digging up some, some dark past, but I'm doing this so that we can have a better relationship and so that we can model something truly amazing for Anakin. When family really feel you coming from that place, like there's some beautiful conversations. Um, yeah. It ended up definitely making us closer. And I know this is something that you talk about all the time. It's like avoiding it pressurizes it. And that is, it just becomes heavier to hold. And in an environment where, like I was saying before, lack of sleep and uh, a newborn baby's cry is a massive stress response. And it does, like I was saying before, make you way less capable to be able to hold everything that you have been holding and these changes that are happening in your family. It's a big shift and transition. And I think a lot of guys struggle with the overnight weight of responsibility and especially when you are dysregulated, how your ego can just amplify the crap out of that as well. Just make it so much harder and so much more brutal and so much less kind to ourselves. Like I just remember sitting back and laughing at this energy I had in my body that I had to put a million dollars in the bank account in the next 30 days or else I was a failure as a father. It's just like, holy shit. As opposed to just simply being super available to my partner who was so unwell like you know it wasn't morning sickness it was all day sickness and it wasn't the first trimester it was three trimesters oh wow blueberries and almonds at three o'clock in the morning so that she's not throwing up in the bathroom it was probably the most intense rite of passage i've seen anybody go through was the, the pregnancy and the labor that amber went through it, it's still one of the wildest things I've seen anybody go through. And she did it so gracefully. Yeah, Kylie didn't have the, like she had nausea in the first trimester, but not intense throughout. I, I mean, maybe she had some things she just didn't tell me about. But the in general, she was in pretty good form after the first trimester. But man, the birth, it was otherworldly. Like I sat there. I didn't sat there. I stood there. I did many things, but I didn't sit very much. But I was there <laughs> thinking, this is the wildest thing I've ever seen. And it reminded me that we are animals. And it reminded me that my partner is a fucking portal. Like that to me was something I conceptually understood when all of a sudden she was growing 
our child. And then when we saw the first ultrasound, I mean, all these things were really beautifully emotional. And then when she was in the process of going through delivery of Jasper, like no drugs, no nothing, just straight channeling fucking savagery, like in the most beautiful way. And this is, if you're listening and you got an epidural or you did, none of this is a judgment on anything. This is like each person has their own journey. Each person has their own desires, all those things. And, and so when I, when I say this, it's like, there's, if you experience shame because you did take one, that's not on me. And I just think to myself, like how much the medical industry has robbed women of the experience of their own power. Because I watched what Kai went through and I thought, holy fuck, I would have stopped at 10 hours of labor or 12. I mean, I remember thinking like, holy shit, this is, we're 15 hours in and I haven't slept. And she's pushing every, you know, at this point, three minutes or two minutes or whatever it was. I can't remember the timings, but oh man. So when you were in that portal with Amber, I'm curious your experience of witnessing her. Because, you know, you're saying, Holy, already the initiation of the pregnancy. And then the actual delivery is like a little icing on the cake of initiations. Amber's labor was 35 plus hours. It's kind of a bit blurry as to kind of how it starts and when it starts because, <laughs> you know, contractions, when contractions start and when the official right. labor starts and it's it's, yeah. it's a bit... And our whole plan was to just trust life, trust Amber's body, trust our baby. You know, we wanted to just let it unfold how it was going to unfold. You know, we didn't, we didn't have a midwife. We did have a doula, but we didn't really, we didn't go to any doctor's appointments or anything like that. If, if you're interested in what I'm talking about, it's called a wild birth or a free birth. And I, I think it was beyond anything I could have imagined. The prep for it was really, really useful being able to talk about my fears and fears of death and fears of hemorrhaging and fears of all the stuff that, you know, I personally know a lot of guys struggle to admit that that's what's rolling around in their heads, um, especially leading into those times, especially doing it unassisted at home, but really just letting her have this moment, letting her really experience what it's like to be fully in her power as a woman, as the divine feminine, literally birthing new life. Like it is really fucking out of control. If you think about it, (laughs) watching her like lean into surges and stay open. Like it's pretty much the greatest example of surrender I've ever seen in my life. Right. Even though she was a complete, like when I say she was a warrior and it was incredible, like she didn't, it's not that she made it look easy. It's that it was really fucking intense, really, really hard. I could see moments where she was on the edge of wanting to give up, not once or twice, like many, 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 many times. And she just softened, opened, repositioned herself, became patient again and just allowed. And yeah. Even just revisiting this conversation, man, I can feel just like tingles all over my body. It was, it was really, really wild. Like there was moments where 
in that 35 hours, obviously your trust in that process and your, I'm not going to say, and essentially, and just the intention that you want to have for your birthing experience and your baby when you're pushing 30 hours and there's resistance and some stuckness in the process that you need to surrender to, obviously you're going to dance with all the fears that you could possibly imagine. Like that's a long time. It's a long time. And, and, you know, I could only imagine the sorts of things that you're battling mentally and emotionally. There's a lot of conditioning around the hospital being the safest place to birth. So if the hospital's the safest place to birth, then home is not the safest place to birth. And so you can also be battling these ideas of, am I doing the right thing? And yeah, the, what I found so destabilizing as we were learning, because, you know, we did our pre-birth education, the classes, because we did it with, we didn't get as wild as you guys, but we did it with um, these midwives, great group out of Las Vegas. They're all former labor and delivery nurses. So there was the, you know, the level of risk we were willing to tolerate, which was certainly um, guided by, I would say the, the, the free uh, movement towards free birth was definitely guided by Kylie. Cause I'm like, what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? This is, you know, you're the one who has the sense here. What level of comfort do you need? What I experienced was this like, oh yeah, there's like a coming back to our nature uh, through the birth process. More of the systems that I was indoctrinated into were dying. More of these systemized, capitalized lies, which listen, I'm not, although I'm sure you listening, some of you might think I am, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I've never, I used to work in the fucking medical model. I was a pharmaceutical rep. You know, I sold electronics at basically Best Buy. Like this is, I'm not a lifelong rebel by any means. And the more I learn, the more I just go, oh my God, like this, because if you're a man who is not preparing for his wife's birth in whatever things you're talking about, right? Like these are the relationships I have. This is how I orient the conflict. This is my work that I've not done yet. Here's how, here's my eruptive anger. If you don't actually, and this doesn't matter if it's a father or a mother, if you don't actually do the work to process that, your child will inherit it. And to me, the truth of that reality is so much that I'm like, I can't in good conscience know that I know that and then do nothing about it. So when you look at the men that you see struggle or that you see because there's men who come to you and there's men who don't. And those are two, I would imagine, psychologically different men. Because one is actually seeking out support to navigate this thing they're witnessing. And maybe for someone listening on here, their partner is going to send them this podcast or they're listening to this podcast. They're like, oh shit, I do. This resonates. And for others, they'll be like, not interested. You know, like what's playing on the game on Sunday? But like, what do you witness is the difference between those two? men and and what is the greatest struggle that you see men present with because i know you said the traumas are unique like what's going to trigger a man's unique and one thing that i just think initially is that because there's a lack of capacity in society for men to have diverse emotions 
you said like birth brings up fear. Like I was afraid. I was thinking about like what happens if the baby dies? What happens if Kai dies? What happens if, you know, these were all true and they were going on in my internal dialogue. And thank the Lord I had people on the external who were like, what's going on in your internal dialogue? But for a lot of us, whether it's birth or not, that internal dialogue is where we live by ourselves and we don't let people in. I think um, it really starts and there's, there's, no, there's no right or wrong. Like I really want to, there's even no right or wrong in terms of like how you choose to give birth. I think the most important conversation is a conversation about it, ed- education and choice. And support in that and supporting the mother's choice is is the most important thing. I think when it comes to that spectrum of where men are essentially coming from, it you gotta have a conversation about perception. Like what do you perceive is your role? Because I think a lot of them that are like, nah, we're all good, is that they can have this idea that that's like not my role, that that's women's business, or that that's what the hospital does. And so if you're coming from that perception, then it can be easy to say, nah, like, what do I, what do I need that for? You know, like everything's already covered. And so it's not coming necessarily from a place of negligence, but it's just coming from a lack of awareness of the immense support role you can play. And this isn't even, you know, to even position this from like a selfish perspective. Yeah, supporting your partner 100, 1000%. But what I also love to share with men is that catching Annie and being past Annie and holding him for the first time in a birthing pool was definitely hands down the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Like being, being super available for that super present for that, super connected in for that, even after 35 hours and being able to stretch and open your capacity and really give you the processes to be able to ground in and be able to pick up like those subtle tones and textures and looks and smells and feels. And if your nervous system is cooked, like your ability to really perceive all of those things in high def is gone. When you're absolutely cooked from the experience and wired from the experience, you're more reactive than able to perceive a greater depth of what's happening around you. And so we do start there with with a lot of men, like how big's your capacity? How big's your container to be able to hold emotional stress and tension and not need to fix or react, but you know, respond in an intentional way? And on the other side of the coin, when you've got guys that do have the perception that there is an importance to have some guidance, which we would have always have historically, there has always been the mothers and the grandmothers and the birth keepers of our tribes and our communities that would always kind of circle around and create that container around an expecting mother. And maybe that's why men have this perception, even like genetically that this isn't the place for us but you know we live in smaller nuclear families that we're a lot more disconnected than we used to be and you know when you look at the vast array of choices you can make when giving birth sometimes family doesn't agree with your choices and if that happens to be the case they might not be the best people to have in your birth space which some people might argue with me from that but it really just comes down to what the mother wants and what she feels most comfortable with and what she feels most open with and if you've got 
auntie or grandma there who disagrees with all of these choices in your house as you're birthing, they might not be the best people to have there. You know what I mean? Even if it is grandma. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys that know they need help or know that they want help or know that they're going to experience more with some guidance and being asked those questions. Like I, I resonate with that. That's who I was. Like I, I literally just, I just start by asking the questions that really helped me and it always just goes where it needs to go. I've seen you post about this a lot. Like the thing you're avoiding, the thing you're not talking about, um, that's where we go. And you just go for the jugular every time. And it always uncovers what it needs to. Um, but a lot of the time, you know, I can see men depressurize with one conversation. And even just reminding a lot of men to not go this alone. And even if all your buddies around you don't understand what it's like to have a wild birth or a free birth, like how to ask them to hold space for you just to do a dump. And hey man, like I don't need you to try to change my mind on anything. I just need you to be an ear and to tell me I got this and that we're all good and that I can call you if I need you. And even that simple small thing in and of itself can be such a massive difference between some guy thinking he's going this alone or a guy feeling like he's got some support around him. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm really excited to share with you one of my new favorite brands, which is called Safe Sleeve. I discovered them because I was looking for a phone case that would prevent radiation, because of course I use my phone for work, and my phone sits in my pocket right next to all the, you know, important bits. And I couldn't be happier with this product. I absolutely love it. And recently, France actually banned the iPhone 12 for excessive radiation levels. So this is the perfect time for me to share this with you and for you to go check them out. Safe Sleeve makes anti-radiation products designed to give you peace of mind so that you can know that you and your devices are protected. And all of their anti-radiation products incorporate lab-tested shielding technology that can block over 99% of radio frequency radiation and 92% of electromagnetic field radiation. There are very few anti-radiation brands that offer lab-tested protection and make it publicly available on their website, and only a couple of them block ELF, the electromagnetic field radiation, which is much harder to block, but equally as important. And as a bonus, their phone cases provide military-grade drop protection, which is also tested for. So if you're like me and you want to protect your cells from getting fried by RF, check out Safe Sleeves phone cases, anti-radiation headphones, RF blocking blanket, and more awesome products that keep you safe. Go to safesleevecases.com and use the code GROVES10 for 10% off at checkout. The level of risk each person tolerance that each person has is their own. And that is, that's why it's the autonomous choice of the person and the mother especially. And I think what I was so struck by is the lack of actual education and the use of fear that's used on mothers and fathers in these circumstances where they're actually not empowered. They're actually pushed towards certain decisions, even though perhaps the risk benefit is actually not in their favor. And they're, I think it's more ways that we continue to be infantilized and we're, we parentify these other authorities, which don't get me wrong, like uh, not a... Not everyone's going to have, it's helpful to have people who are educated in this space, but there's so many midwives and doulas who are trained in this that can teach us more of the totality of the holistic experience of birth. And what you said about fathers having these conversations, and I think too for mothers, like we had a, 
birth doula, we had the midwives and then we also had a birth doula named Sarah Soleil, who's incredible. And I just got to ask her lots of questions, all the questions that, and I asked lots of what might've been considered uh, quote unquote dumb questions in the midwife training stuff. Cause I'd be like, wait, can I ask this? Like, if we're not going to look at our emotional, the lack of capacity to hold the change, cause like the initiation for Kai was an initiation for me in and of itself. But the initiation for me was so powerful. And if I didn't have like elders and other experienced people around me to ask questions and to be like emotional or, you know, I think one thing that you mentioned, this pressure to like put a million dollars in the bank, you know, right away. And (laughs) I felt this strange thing that I was witnessing now as a father, which is one, the lack of fathers in you know, present in their children's life and also the lack of admiration for fathers. You know, I didn't, and I'm not, you know, flying some sort of victim flag here, but like the lack of admiration for men, the lack of admiration for fathers, and also the lack of admiration for the pressure to provide. There's there's not really a conversation about how much pressure that actually is, there seems to be a lack of compassion for that and a lack of, because patriarchy has given such a sour taste about the weaponization of providing and the lack of emotional depth that men have had, which is true, there isn't this other side of this compassion for actually what that's like. It's almost like, well, you guys have exploited that, even though you haven't specifically, your gender has. So you're just all going to go into the, you know, into the doghouse and we're just not going to appreciate that anymore because we know if we appreciate it, you might weaponize it again. And so that's something that I've really been interested in. I'm curious what your experience was with that. So I definitely fell into that trap myself. You know, um, I wanted to, I felt justified in working more because on the other end of that, in my mind was more time freedom. I had this plan that I would make some changes at work and essentially make myself, which to be, to be able to create more availability for me to be at home, I fell into the trap of taking that upon myself rather than being able to communicate that super, super well to my partner. So literally as, as she's sharing that we're pregnant and she's also going through some pretty gnarly morning sickness, I was feeling the pull to be away um and to sort of create more stability um and to create more freedom with my time for home so in my mind it felt really justified in my mind it felt nearly essential for our family like this was my this was my role in this and it was like it wasn't really met super, super well because especially at that time, like Amber needed support. And the biggest issue was that it just wasn't communicated well. But I think that's part of this piece is that this is, it was like a trigger response. It was literally a trauma response of, of not being able to provide, of not being able to be enough. And so literally every part of my being almost felt uncomfortable at home sometimes feeling that there was this like void of, this thing that I needed to create and this man that I needed to become because I didn't want to, when Anakin came, to be an absent father at that point. So I put these huge expectations to have all of these things fixed before his arrival. 
but it ultimately just pulled me away from our little family unit that actually did need to be kept super, super tight. So part of relating with Amber to be able to create the safety and the trust and security for her to be able to birth at home. And I think those three things are really important when you're doing a home birth is to have that trust, have that safety, have that security meant that like we had to navigate what that looked like so that I could go and do at least to some degree what I was being called in for while also being super available at home. And it's, I think it will definitely be called, every man will be called to look at how he wants to provide and to look at the space he wants to create to be the father that he wants to be. And I think one thing I want to share is that so many of these decisions, while they can look like the focus isn't at home, the greater picture is about who we are and how we are showing up for our family. Um, And so it can be grossly misunderstood um, what it's like to be pulled away to fulfill these kind of needs and this yearning that's coming up to kind of be the man that you want to be. I think it's a really good topic and a really good conversation to have because I think peeling back the layers on what looks like just wanting more, especially in a world that's constantly reaching for more, Um, But I also think it's important to look at that trap as well, because again, if you're uncomfortable and there are things that needing are needing work personally and relationally at home, diving into your work is a pretty awesome avoidance strategy. And I think it's a case by case thing where you really need to look at what's the truth underneath this drive is probably the most important question. And, and you know, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all for everyone. You need to really be really bloody honest with yourself about where this is coming from and probably put some really healthy boundaries in um, intentionally around what that looks like and on both sides of the fence and really going to your partner and asking her what she needs. Yeah, that's for sure. She will have a say whether you invited or not so you might as well invite it (laughs) and make it collaborative 100 percent. yeah because that creation of safety conversation dialogue the space in the relationship to hold each other's fears each other because both people are becoming such different people in that container and you know who began the journey of becoming a parent is very different than the person who becomes the parent and i think that it is mostly a good thing if we actually confront it from that space of something is trying to be born within me as well. And if I'm open to this human system changing and how it changes and not making that mean anything, because of course, like our relationship changed because we now have a third entity. We went from being a couple to being a family. There needs to be space for that conversation. You know, um, I talked to her about mourning that you know, right now there's a cuddle fest going on between the mother and and Jasper, between Kai and Jasper. And sometimes I get brought into the cuddle fest, but there's not like space for Kylie and I yet. Recognizing that that is just time. But I have, you know, there's still space for the grief that I miss it. I miss, you know, being able to cuddle and fall asleep and not get kicked in the rib. You know, like there's a lot of beauty in that. <laughs> And I guess that's that's the bit 
for the preparation. It's being able to hold yourself better, being able to hold them better and to honestly put, put their needs in front of yours sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sit with that, sit with that and look at the fucking resentment that comes up with that and be honest about that and not bottle that shit up. Cause again, it's just going to leak out in other ways. I think that's all part of the preparation. You know, the things that expand your container for birth are the same things that are going to expand your container for exactly that situation. You know, learning how to deal with that discomfort and not make it more than it is, more than your partner being able to provide the needs of your baby without you having to inject your needs into those moments. Where if that is bringing stuff up for you, still being able to have the strength and the perception to sit and watch that beautiful moment because it is a beautiful moment and not let what's coming up in you taint those crystal waters in a way and still be able to communicate that with her in a good way later because that is honestly how you're feeling and that's honestly what is going to be good for your relationship to be able to express that properly and know that you can say whatever it is that you need to say based on whatever it is that's coming up for you. I think that's super healthy to be able to hold yourself in that first moment and then also be really open and vulnerable in the next when the time's right. Mm, Powerful because for a lot of men or it could be a woman going through that circumstance too, that there would be a need to react in the moment or a pouting or a something, which is still the child, right? Like the child in the adult body, which when you say like, if you can just hold, and most of us then would hold and never share the thing, maybe because we're ashamed, we don't know how to take up emotional space, we don't know how to express our needs. What a gift that is to say, hold, because that's what the adult does. The adult holds. And that's such a beautiful invitation that I'm I'm fully going to receive from you uh, and reminder of like being able to witness how beautifully needs are being met, especially the needs of a young child who needs their needs attuned and met. And I watch Kylie do that with such precision and, and presence and beauty. And then also to come back to the things that we need to talk about and the things we're working through and the space to have dialogue for what she needs more of from me. You know, thank you for that because I, I think that's so important. And I think about how this initiation, which all initiations are really inviting us to move from childhood, from adolescence into being adults. And two adults in a relationship are a lot better than having one adult and two children where one of them is giant and actually meant to be an adult. And that could be anyone in the combination. But there's a lot of people who are in adult bodies in relationship who are still kids. And that's no one's fault. It's just that we are not initiated. We do not often accept our initiations, but our culture also doesn't say, hey, you're now a man. You're now a woman. Here are your responsibilities as those things. Mm. Right? That'd be nice. And this is what that means. Yeah, I um something this 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 conversation I had with our doula was stepping into the birth portal as a boy. Uh, you still leave a boy. Um, stepping into the birth portal as a man it creates a father. So this is this is the the rite of passage part before you 
step into the birthplace. Like essentially you need to assume your manhood to become the father. This is why doing the work before your baby comes or at least accepting the responsibility of the work. Because, you know, a man isn't someone who's got it all sorted out. A man is someone who like accepts that responsibility with an open heart and chooses to step into that fire of discomfort of looking at those things and doing that work. It's all that's required. And when that character steps into the birth portal, that's what makes a father. Because there's no guarantees with anything, you know. You're just going to all get thrown in, in the mix, in the storm. And it's, it's essentially it's how you interact with that, not how you show up. It is how you show up, but it's, it's, it's not. Nothing needs to be completed beforehand. It's really just the tone of your energy and willingness to meet life in the moment, open and receptive and humbled. Because I think they're the qualities that are going to really allow you to see really clearly and then be able to respond in a good way. Yeah, and you have to be able to hold that space in especially the birth portal. Like I just kept thinking to myself, like, this is about you have to be the rudder. Like you have to be the rock. Like you are what she is leaning on right now. And if anything goes sideways, like you got to step up. So that's why I had to be educated about what was happening because I'm like, well, shit, if I need to. I also was lucky because I had a bunch of savage witches around me who were all, you know, I got <laughs> sister, Jess, I got the birth doula. So I got, I felt like I was in a bit of a birthing coven, which was great because they were all absolute Powerful, advocates. yeah. Right. And everyone is an advocate for Kylie first, which what a powerful thing to know that your sisters are all there, whether birth or not. And they're like, we got you. If anything happens, we got you. And we know how to navigate this space. And that's that level of eldership that needs to be there as, you know, the, the mother goes from maiden to mother. And that's like, what a portal that is, you know? And if we can at least, because what you said too, I think is really beautiful is like, the pull to want to make it about us is still that child's desire. And that's a good reminder for me because sometimes I think I can lean into like, I have a wound or a thing that's coming up and I want it nurtured and fixed. And I want it, you know, maybe I'm like unconsciously trying to compete with Jasper to get a lot. Maybe if my needs bigger than his, uh, that'd be perfect. So it's great to, to be able to just in real time kind of be like, oh, that's interesting. But look, whatever's coming up, I think is, true and real it's not a matter of if that conversation it's just a matter of when that conversation because mm -hmm. you're the structure right it's um it's creating the space for that to be said and heard without it taking away any energy and space from mother to child mm -hmm. and you know he is an extension of you that's that's like what i really the the shift i made is that when amber's taking care of our son like she's taking care of my family. She's taking care of my son. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot to receive, even if you're not, even if it's not the traditional way that you've received. Yeah. Receiving from watching your son receive is still fucking awesome. If you can allow yourself to have that. That's really beautiful. Yeah. That extension of you and his needs being met or actually your needs being met because his needs are super 
you know, they're an extension of, but actually the most important needs first. Yeah, that's beautiful. Just as we close out, I want to give people listening some succinct sort of action items that they can take to move forward. So I'm curious, you know, no matter the gender of the person listening, what are the best tips that you have for stepping towards this change in our lives, confronting these invitations, whether it's birth or not, right? Like we started out talking about emotional challenges and biochemical challenges and physical challenges. So what are your tips if you're navigating any sort of invitation to look within? I've come full circle to come back to this bit. And this bit is something that gets spoken about a lot. And I think it's definitely a word that gets thrown around a lot, but there's a lot of depth to it is the presence and awareness piece. You could be the most capable, the most skilled, the biggest container, the greatest powerhouse. But if you're not actually able to accurately perceive what each, what any moment needs, you're potentially a liability. Having a practice where it, it, I just recommend, like if you're not meditating, silent meditating, work your way up to it, but literally just sitting and reflecting on what's happening in your body or what's just happened in your day or what's just happened in your week and being able to accurately perceive what's going on in your environment to be able to respond to those needs accurately is is a huge huge piece Um, the other reason why i would recommend like taking that space to start a practice like that is because it will also help teach you where your level of regulation is at and how to like shift and move that and regulate yourself in a better way because your ability to be able to regulate yourself with a crying baby or with a screaming partner that's in the birth space and that ability to keep yourself out of that highly reactive where literally the thinking brain shuts down in that stress response and renders you pretty poor at making decisions and understanding the value of being able to look at every moment with a clear head and a clear set of eyes. I think that is invaluable in every situation, let alone the birth space and becoming a father. So presence and awareness, I think meditation is really amazing for that. And I think learning some breath work is really amazing for that just long slow breathing learning how to bring down your heart rate and blood pressure and bringing yourself out of that stress response and becoming practiced at it like understanding the technique in here like it really means nothing like just understanding what a four seven eight breath is versus having practiced that regularly is the difference between it being really effective and not i think expanding your container So being able to hold more, like getting your body in good shape, you know, looking at how you handle discomfort um, physically can represent how you can handle discomfort mentally and emotionally and just learning how to sit with that and be with that and listen to what that's trying to tell you, I think is a really, really big piece as well. When you're expanding the container, you know, the sorts of things we do is like, I always recommend getting the guys fit, getting them exercising is, is a really good way to regulate themselves as well. But that's expanding the container outwards. I think there's another way I look at this as well as it's making space in the container you've already got. 
And I think this is what you've alluded to. It's actually making space internally is letting go of some of the baggage that you're carrying, like whatever that is for you. And it could be, yeah, some of your past traumas, some of the things, some of the ways that you were hurt, some of the ways you've felt not loved, not belonging, not accepted. I think really looking at those and if you can, you know, bringing some awareness or shining some light or reconciling some of those emotions in your body or learning how to let that go and not carry that around as much as you have gives you the capacity to hold more because whether you think you're not, that takes up a lot of energetic space and can be heavy. But presence and awareness and expanding that container, learning how to communicate, learning how to communicate with your partner or just learning how to communicate in relationships. Beautiful. I mean, I think all those tips are not only expansive from becoming a parent, but if we could do them at any time in our lives, they're going to actually dramatically shift the way we relate, how we show up to life, listening to ourselves. You know, we started with listening to your body and getting back into connection with your emotionality. I mean, if you're meditating and doing breath work, all that stuff's going to come forward for you. And really the openness to listen is necessary you know, to be able to build a relationship with yourself and your psyche and your soul. So Dr. Ryan Pope, thank you so much for your time today. For the people listening, where can they find more of you and the work that you do? And we'll make sure we link out in the show notes. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm actually been doing a lot of work here. So jump on the website, becomingamountain.co. Um, there's a playbook on there for men, which goes into detail a lot of the things that we've talked about on this podcast, but a lot more as well. It also includes um, some videos on some of those breathing techniques that I recommend. It even includes some reflection questions to really help draw out some of the information and some of the questions that I think are really important for anyone stepping into a home birth space or fatherhood to start to consider. So there's a lot of value in there. Um, yeah, check out the website or on Instagram. Awesome. Ryan, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you. You're welcome, brother. Thank you. Thank you.